BAFTA creates platforms for open debate, and so the views expressed in this programme are only those of the contributors. Hello and welcome to the BAFTA podcast. My name is Will Masser, and today we'll be talking about short films, how to make them, how to promote them, and how to get them seen. Plus, we'll reveal where you can see this year's BAFTA-nominated short films on the big screen around the UK. Stay with us. So we're extremely fortunate to have around the table the filmmakers behind Good Night and The Curse, both nominated at the BAFTA Film Awards this year. We also have Lisa Breyer, chair of the jury who picked the shortlist and an independent producer at Cowboy Films. Can we start with you, Lisa? Uh, you have producing experience in both features and shorts. What might people know you for? Probably when it comes to feature films, Nick Love's first film, which was Goodbye Charlie Bright, which is a wonderful film. And uh, also The Last King of Scotland, which we were very fortunate enough won a BAFTA and, and quite a few other awards. And Forrest won a, an Oscar for his, his performance. And uh, a uh, sort of a dark horror film called The Hole that Nick Ham directed. For short, our, probably our most famous one was Wasp, which Andrea Arnold directed, which was put through Cowboy, but to be honest, I didn't really have anything to do with it. It was, right, okay. it was completely Andrea. I mean, she's extraordinary. And I think those are the ones probably... Great. Most people will know. Well, that's a fantastic CV, and we'll we'll come back to you later, both in terms of your your uh, role as a chairwoman of the BAFTA Shorts Jury and also as an independent producer as well. Next to Lisa is Gavin Humphreys, who's a producer at Quark Films and uh, produced The Curse, which, as I said before, was on the uh, nominees for the BAFTA Short 2013. Gavin, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, just describe the film as well? That would be great. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been running my company, Quark Films, for five years, and I've produced 18 short films, not just fiction, but documentary and animation, as well as some documentary features. Prior to that, I was a talent agent for five years, and uh, I retrained at the National Film and Television School on the producing course there. So um, The Curse is my latest short film. It was financed by Film 4 and the BFI, and it's based um, on an anecdote from the writer-director's mother. The writer-director is Faisal Boulifer. And it's the story of uh, Fatin, who's a Moroccan village girl who's discovered with her older lover in the countryside by um, a young boy. And the film follows her on her journey home to the village. And more and more children start to follow her and threaten to reveal her secret. So she has to find a way to stop the children from telling her her family. And Faisal, having seen some of his other shorts and, and, and The Curse as well, is you know he really stands out as a, as a, as a new voice to watch because he's so deeply interested in kind of issues of representation or, or under-representation, if you like. Is that, is that something that you want to infuse in the work that you're producing generally? I find a lot, when I think about the things that I've produced, the shorts I've produced, that they tend to be about the outsider, weirdly, whether it's to do with sexuality, race, or all different kinds of areas. When I look at whether it's the animations, the documentaries or the fictions, they all have the similar threads. So I think that's what appeals to me. And Faisal's quite um, uncompromising in his vision as well. So he has a very distinctive style and that really adds to telling those kinds of stories. Excellent. Let's move to Muriel Donsenberg, last but most definitely not least. Um, Muriel, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to filmmaking um, and then move on to tell us a little bit about Goodnight, the film that you've just made. I'm originally from Amsterdam, from Holland, where I did my BA in screenwriting. And uh, after that, I had a production company. And I always wanted to go to film school, 
but somehow uh, was intimidated by it. And I came to a point where I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. But I wanted to do it abroad because I thought that would be... It would just be more interesting for me to make uh, films, um, English-spoken films. So uh, I came across the MA in filmmaking at the London Film School, uh, decided to move to London a couple of years back, uh, did my MA here, and Goodnight is my graduation film at the London Film School. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about the story? Yeah, God, it's so hard to tell this story in short because I always feel that I'm just not giving the layers <laughs> that it has. But um, it's basically a slightly edgy coming-of-age film about two 14-year-old girls uh, that are in the midst of this exploration of their awakening sexuality. Um, they head out on a secret night out in London, dressed um, very provocatively and... Um, kind of imitating the images they see in the media and um, come across, I guess, much more mature and sexually... Um, kind of precocious. Yes, yeah, than, yeah, they, yeah. than they, they really are. I mean, they're, they're still 14. And we as viewers can see that they're 14, but from the outside, you can't. So the men they encounter are much older than they are. And um, they get into some really tricky situations with these older men. Yeah, it's a very powerful piece. Having, having seen Thank that, I thought you. it was excellent. Thank you really um, Gavin and Muriel, you both beat off a, a tremendous amount of competition, right, rightly so probably, uh, to, to, to get where you, you went um, to be in the, the final five of the live action nominees for BAFTA and there are, there, are, there are three animations as well in the short film category and five, five live action. Lisa, can we just come back to you for a second? You were the chair of the short film jury at the BAFTAs in February. Um, so you picked Gavin's and Muriel's films against presumably hundreds, uh, if not thousands, I don't know, uh, of competition. Just quickly, can you tell us, because this is a bit of a holy grail for short filmmakers out there trying to trying to get their hands on the big prize and the, and the recognition, how does it work? How does it actually work once you've submitted your film to BAFTA? I select a, a jury which is made up of uh, people within the film industry from fabulous casting agents like Leo Davis to screenwriters to directors and between the jury members they will then watch quite a few over a hundred short films that have been submitted and they will select their favorites and then as a group they will watch the final favorites which I think come down to probably about 20, 25, it really varies each year. And then we will sit down and try and narrow that down to, to the final five. So it's a, it's a very long, deep process. <laughs> do, do, you, do you have quite heated debates? Does it come back, you know, do people have clearly present their favourites or does it tend to work, do people tend to line up in a consensus? This year it could have got quite heated. <laughs> um, I'm quite tough. Yeah. As a, a chairwoman, I'm, I think it's sort of quite good, actually. That was quite tough this year. It could have got, got quite heated. I have to be, obviously, as the chair, I, you know, I can't have my own sort of personal opinion, but can just, well, I can't even steer anyone. Uh, that would be completely wrong, but I just have to, you know, let make sure everyone has their say. But it was, it you know, we had really some fantastic films this year, and narrowing it down to five is very, very difficult. You know, we can usually get down to probably the last seven or eight, but from that seven or eight, getting to the, to the last five. And, and can I ask how you pick your jury? That's actually a very good question. I, I pick it really, for me, a film, whether it's a short film or a long film, or, you know, I mean, I sort of produce over 700 music videos. So, you know, that 
that's how I started my and I still even if it's three minutes or half an hour or I also produced a lot of commercials so 30 seconds for me it's all about the story so it's very important that the people on the jury under, come from that kind of background so I tend to go for people within the industry who have worked in the industry for years and years and years who have a feel for storytelling and also how to enhance that story, which is why also I like to try and involve cameramen and editors, obviously. That's great. I think that'd be really interesting for filmmakers out there to know that there's a kind of breadth of representation on, on oh, the yeah. jury. Very uh, much so. Well, that's fantastic. We've got, we've got, like I said at the beginning, a fantastic uh, kind of panel uh, of people sat here with me. So we definitely need to use the next half hour as best we possibly can to squeeze the best advice out of them from all aspects of filmmaking, from production, writing, distribution, production. So without further ado, we're going to move on and talk a little bit about the pre-production process. Obviously, all these years films started out on the page, but let's talk a little bit, kind of chart that journey, if we can, from page through to production um, by going back to the beginning. Muriel, where did the idea for Goodnight come from? You've said already it's about kind of two teenage girls uh, and and you said in their response to the media. So it feels like there's a kind of contemporary feel to it. But Mm. um, where did it come from? Uh, How did you get a producer attached to the script and how long did that initial kind of script development process take? You know, it's it's so funny. I've learned now next time when I come up with a new idea, I have to write down immediately where that idea came from because it's such a long journey that once you're done, to track it back down to the beginning, it's quite hard. But I'd say that it kind of started uh, when I moved to London and I was, I was living in a neighborhood with a lot of nightlife and I would see girls like this going out. And um, the girls here really, you know, they dress... I'd say far more provocatively than I'm used to in Amsterdam. Like the skirts are really short and (laughs) high heels. They can hardly walk. And I'm just looking at them and it's in the middle of the winter. And I'm just thinking I'm freezing my ass off in like three coats. And and they're just walking around like it's summer. So I think that's where it started because I was looking at these girls and they're trying to be these really sexy, provocative um, young women. But at the same time, there's this naivety and this... They're just they're ki- they're kids. Well, they're, they're on the cusp of, well, of something. I, it just feels like they're covering up something. It felt like they're they're all covering up this great insecurity of not being good enough and not being pretty enough and not being. And that started this idea for me of what if these girls are actually underage and we can't see it because there's so much fakery on top of it. And that fakery is just to kind of cover up who they really are. I think it's really hard to show to the world who you really are. So that's an, one one of the... So that's the kind <laughs> of genesis of the idea. And, and and obviously you were making this in a film school context. So were you paired with the producer or did you... How did Was it a kind of um, a- auction for the best scripts? How did it, how did um, it work? Um, well, I think I was lucky because the script, people reacted really well to the script. At film school, a couple of people had said, I'd like to produce your film. But I think a lot of the producers at the film school are actually directors that produce on the side. And I wanted to have someone who was really interested in producing. So I went to quite big production company shamelessly and just said, hi, I have this short film and it's a graduation film. And do you have any producers that are interested? And they all said, Great script, come back when you have a feature. So I thought, okay, that's not going to work. And then I approached someone who worked on another short of mine, and um, she worked at the BBC. And I said, you probably know a few producers. Could you look around? And she read the script. She said, can I please, please? 
please produce this. I think it's great and I want to get into producing more. She had produced one short at the film school, actually. And and yeah, we met up and it just felt right. She really seemed like she wanted to put everything into it. And when she kind of, when you kind of shook hands, said, yes, let's do this. Did she then come back with a raft of notes for your script? How much longer? Or did she kind of give you that creative freedom to pursue it on your own? The, the script, like the basis script was more or less there by that time, but I did still uh, work on it more. And I did have script meetings with her and another friend from the film school. Um, y- you always need feedback and notes and, and just try off stuff, see if it works. Um, but I, yeah, she gave me a lot of freedom. It was That's yeah. great. That's and fantastic. it really did work. Just to jump in there, I mean, I thought your script was absolutely fantastic. And being the mother of um, 15-year-old twin boys, so very involved now with these girls who are turning up and who are absolutely, as you say, covering up who they really are and just so terrified of showing the world that they are actually only 13 or 14 or 15 and wanting to appear older. And I thought the script was absolutely excellent. And then the way you you executed it was was superb. Thank you. It's funny, a lot of mothers came up to me after the screening and said, first of all, thank you for not letting it go too far because it has a lot of points where it could really go to. And and (laughs) every time they're like, oh, God, it's going to go there now. It's too traumatic. Yeah, Yeah, no, you pulled back, (laughs) which I think uh, was the right. Yeah, yeah, no, it was excellent. Uh, Let me just bring in Gavin here from the the kind of uh, emerging producers. I feel funny calling you an emerging producer because you're you're, you're really kind of establishing yourself now. But let's call you an emerging producer for the purposes of this conversation. Um, Interesting what Muriel said about producers at film school kind of perhaps actually really wanted to direct or write, and not presumably at the National, which is about developing producer-producers to go out into the world and make projects. Can you talk a little bit about how you came up as a producer and then more specifically about your relationship with Faisal and and the way you approached the curse specifically? You've told us why you like working with Faisal, but this script is challenging relative to his other shorts before, so just a little bit of that. Yeah, well, I'm... I'm a producer who does just want to produce. I don't want to write. I don't want to direct. I just really enjoy producing and that's a big enough job for me. And I think it's often a job that gets not underappreciated but not entirely understood. I remember a very experienced producer came in to talk to us at the film school and just said, I think it's actually in the selection workshop for the course, to say, well, producing is three main areas. It's the creative side of development and that goes all the way through to giving feedback and edits and thinking about publicity and marketing it's the production side it's the nuts and bolts of making films and it's the business and legal side financing them negotiating building those relationships and the one thing is you can't be a master in all of those areas you have to identify perhaps two of them and then a third one maybe you need to compensate by getting a great lawyer or a great development person or a great line producer so I mean I very much from my agenting background and working with actors and some directors and writers and even production designers when I was an agent I really sort of learned that I was good at working with creative people so I thought well that's an area that I'm strongest at is actually enabling them to achieve their vision and work with them as I said before even from the simplest idea like my graduation film at the film school came from just a couple of sentences originally that then turned into a screenplay so just really showing somebody that you believe in an idea and think it can play as a as a film so I think a An emerging writer-director often will have lots of different ideas. I know Faisal has a whole, he probably has like several filing cabinets of of ideas for films. And I think part of the job of a producer with shorts is to have that dialogue with the writer-director and really 
facilitate them and enable them to explore that idea further if you're a creative producer. So when uh, so when the script for The Curse mm. landed on your desk, um, apart from, you know, wanting to work with Faisal, did you mm. think, yikes, how the how on earth am I going to do this? It's set in North Africa, it's unknown actors, like what's... I think, you know, I mean, first of all, it's easier nowadays to make films, it's cheaper to travel um, further, you don't have to shoot on film, we did shoot on film, I'm sure you'll want to ask me about that <laughs> later on. So I don't really see it as so much of a boundary, as long as it's more to do with the mentality and the approach of the director that they might have to compromise at certain points and understand the bigger picture of how you put the production together if they're of course unrealistic then that's not going to be possible so Faisal is quite good at adapting and compromising where necessary and I wasn't so daunted by um, shooting in North Africa I had done a couple of shorts before in Italy um, but also we did a, a short film before that for a fifth of the budget which involved you know, multiple locations, car scenes, someone setting themselves on fire, music clearances and music video usage, all kinds of things, several actors, a longer shoot than normal. So we'd achieved it on that. I I probably prematurely turned grey and lost a lot of hair in the process. But so I think the main thing really was to find someone to work with over there. And so you spend, you know, if, if the production's going to be more challenging then the main thing you need to negotiate for yourself as a producer is to have as much time as possible to prepare so of course being in a different country you had to find someone to work with and just spend more time preparing the film than you would do say if you were shooting in London. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, another area of pre-production which is starting to think about how it's going to shake down in terms of physical production but also in terms of casting. There seems to be in, in the UK anyway and I know you shot in, in North Africa but you've made a lot of shorts in, in the UK Gavin. There seems to be a tremendous amount of kind of industrial goodwill towards short filmmaking. People are you know good DOPs work on the right project for um, you know either very kindly for favours and, and, and we see more and more it seems to me name cast uh, preparing to work on shorts as well if, if the kind of script is right. I mean last year's BAFTA live action winner was Pitch Black Heist had Michael Fassbender and Liam Cunningham in. Uh, this year there was a film called The Vorman Problem starring uh, Tom Hollander and Martin Freeman. When you start, I know you work with non-professional actors, Gavin, but in your experience generally, and you, Muriel, and, uh, and you, Lisa, if you've got those kind of connections in place with actors, is it right to try and exploit them? What's the etiquette for getting those good cast on board? Do you, do you have to be lucky to know Michael Fassbender or should you be going through agents? What, what's the kind of etiquette and the, and the environment for getting the, that calibre of, of cast? and crew involved? Well, I mean, I, obviously it helps tremendously if you have connections. I've, I've, just to answer your first point about maybe why actors are doing these kind of shorts now that maybe they weren't doing before as much, I think as, as having been a talent agent previously, I think there was much more work about 10 years ago and there's less meaty roles for actors nowadays. So they're looking for opportunities to work with emerging exciting new directors on, on bigger parts so they see it very much as something you know it's, it doesn't take much of their time and it's a great role to get their teeth into if, if that's what you're proposing to them it's it's hard having been having been an agent um, I mean I used to get lots even people from the National Film School used to ring me up and I was very dismissive of it but I think that has that mentality has changed quite a lot I'd say and the agents are more open to that as long as it's it feels that you are professional, you understand how the industry works and how to check the availability of the actors and, you know, you you often you just have to make a, a phone call in the first instance and follow up with an email with more details. It's just um, 
having that understanding of how the industry works in the casting and agenting level, I think. And if you speak their language, they're more willing to talk to you. I mean, of course, it's hard. The higher up you go in terms of the kind of actors you want to use, the more difficult it is. But I think it's uh, the the weird thing for me is that I've worked more and more with non-actors the, the further I've gone along rather than work with established actors. But, you know. Excellent. And um, just moving across to Lisa in terms of um, having se- overseen the short film jury this year, could you give some advice to, I mean, I, it'd be interesting to know, you probably, you've seen a lot of good. I imagine you've also seen a lot of not so good. Oh, Is, <laughs> very much so. Very much so. <laughs> Is there advice you can either give to writers or filmmakers about, you know, the kind of things that have emerged or cropped up that really don't work or that you are tired, you've now seen too much of? What would, what would be your kind of top tips for anyone setting out at the moment making a short film with their eye on the BAFTA? I mean, for me, it's, it's always about the story. And I think if one comes up with a, a great idea, a really interesting idea, you know, as Gavin was saying, you don't have to shoot on film these days. There is a lot more access to really good actors and actresses. Um, I think it's just all about sort of, you know, trusting your beliefs and going for it I don't know what doesn't work I just know what does work you know you you watch something and it either you feel it or you don't it is all about the 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 script the story and Gavin could you would you just like to come in on that in terms you probably get a lot of scripts sent to you are there are there themes that you are noticing that's starting to feel a bit tired or that you know what would your tips be for emerging writers I just would go back to what I said at the very beginning, which I think is if you if it's coming from something personal or inside you that really it's, it might be from your own story and then you translate that to a different situation, obviously different characters, they tend to make the strongest short films, I think, as a for writer directors. I don't know. What do you think, Muriel? How do you? I was going to say, Muriel, we actually, we actually do have a writer <laughs> yeah. in the room and it's, it's, it's you know, it's funny because I now get a lot of scripts sent to me by writers and writer directors that ask me for feedback like it's getting so much I'm, I have to say no at some point no I can't, it's scripts. just too much <laughs> it's really crazy it's since the BAFTA I'm getting all these scripts and one thing I, I see is that I think what people forget is two things one is that we need some intimacy in a script there needs to be a human connection there and um, I don't know if it's age of the writers or w- what it is but that for me is really really important that there is some form of intimacy and uh, another thing is surprise and not surprise in the sense that someone suddenly drops dead because that you know we've seen that many times but that when you're writing a story goes a certain way and and there's something in your brain that always goes that kind of way that we expect it to go and you have to challenge yourself to kind of think out of the box and let it constantly surprise um, the audience because that will keep them on their seat and that's what I tried with this mm. script and that's the feedback that mm. I'm getting uh, that's working. And it's an excellent script you, you, and you're, you're not only a writer but you're a director so when you sit down to write are you able to separate your two selves as it were and get rid of the writer or do you write thinking about production and the limitations yes, of the budget? Yes and that's terrible and yeah. I do that and I'm trying to get rid of it because it's limiting me in my writing because you can always you know take out stuff later on mm. so I'm fighting that producer inside of me and you, it is it kind of to an extent I'll write it producer you produce it we'll get it made and and you have to kind of think a little bit like that to, to, I, to free I'm the creative get spirit there one day I'm 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 also, hoping to get there I mean as a producer as well I always think that's the same for features or shorts that the writer should really just have complete freedom at first to write whatever they need to write to get out and then eventually you know you can find ways of 
changing the car explosion to something else more subtle. But I think it's important to have that creative freedom. It's great if you can be practical at first, but I think you know you have to explore the story creatively, and then you can be more practical. And and if yeah. it's if it's about this moment of connection and true intimacy, you don't need much for that. You need two, two human beings for that. And I think we really forget how important that is. Yeah. That's what we're interested in life. Wonderful. Now. Let's talk a little bit about production. We've covered kind of the build-up to a film getting made, talked a little bit about casting and writing and, and the creative spirit generally. So the money's in, the film's been greenlit. How can filmmakers kind of get the best bang for buck on set, as it were, make the best film that they possibly can with limited resources? Gavin, you um, you made the... Uh, you're right, I, I, I was going to come back to this. You made the increasingly uncommon decision to shoot on film. Why? <laughs> Well, I always try to think what's creatively right for the project. And as long as the team, that the producer, the director, the cinematographer in this case, feel that it's the right choice, you explore the options, I suppose. So we, I mean, we looked at two options, whether shooting on the Alexa, which was the camera du jour back when we were shooting The Curse, or shooting on film. And I just, you know, budgeted both scenarios and looked to see which one was going to be cheaper or you know if it there was any major difference and in fact there wasn't much difference because film was on its way out and in fact film just disappeared last week from Fuji so I went to their closing drinks in Soho oh God, was that like a um, memorial yeah, it felt a bit <laughs> like that actually yes yeah, so, I mean it's changed so much even in I mean unbelievable the, yeah so they were really um, it's not that they were desperate for us to shoot on film but um, the prices went down even between when we started and then the, when the film finished I think the prices had gone down considerably so. That the cost difference wasn't huge. The difference mainly shooting on film was that um, there was no laboratory in Morocco. Yeah. So um, all the, f- and um, for insurance purposes, the film uh, has to be um, developed at least every five days and certainly after the first day of the shoot. So I couldn't find anybody um, willing to do it, to take the rushes back to London. So I actually had to travel back overnight to get them processed. I also couldn't find anyone that I trusted to do that either because it involved the rushes not being, you know, x-rayed. So you hightailed it back to London with a box of... (laughs) Yeah, so I made friends, I say that ironically, with the um, security (laughs) at um, Marrakesh Airport who um, got increasingly bewildered when I turned up with more and more rolls of film stock not to be x-rayed to take back to London. Incredible. And do you, do you think ultimately having shot on film that it's it's made a difference to the film's success or, or given it that extra edge? Is it something Faisal was pushing for? It's not something particularly that Faisal or Tyner, the DOP, were pushing for because they were pragmatic about, OK, if we're going to shoot in Morocco and have a longer shoot and all the other factors involved, then um, we might need to make some compromises. But whether it makes a better film, I think, you know, going back to what we've discussed earlier on, the story and what goes on inside the frame is the most important thing. And you could shoot that, you know, some people do shoot them on phones and all kinds of smaller digital cameras. We're making a, you know, a high quality short film. So we had the budget to be able to afford to do it. I think there's a nostalgia involved now in hindsight, because people notice the difference that we have this grainy looking film compared to these absolutely crystal clear Gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, but I I, I don't think it makes the format you choose is important, but it doesn't necessarily affect the success of the film. Okay. But certainly watching it, you know, I think your decision was absolutely right. And I think because of the location and the lushness and the richness and just the way the cinematography was with the story worked so well together. And certainly, you know, watching the film, 
being part of the the jury system, I, I absolutely a hundred percent think you made the right decision. Whereas, you know, funny enough, with your film, to me, it was just so much about what was going to happen or not happen to these two girls. I, I, I don't even know what it was shot on. And to me, it wouldn't have mattered. What's coming up time and time again here is the importance of the story and the importance of the emotional connection and actually that the, the, the physical format is actually not the primary consideration. But presumably we are in an age now where it's much easier to make something that looks very slick and stands up aesthetically to the best feature film work out there. Did you see a lot of kind of shorts with high, high production values? And do, do, they, do they need that now in order to, to, to well, kind of break one through? Well, the one had incredibly high production values. So I do think that it is important, again, depending on on the project. Mm. This is Lynn Ramsey's... Um, this, Absolutely. This yeah. I mean, you couldn't get higher. I mean, it was stunning. Mm. And for people who love visual feasts, it was absolutely perfect. Um, for people who are more interested in, in the story... I suppose it did, that short in particular did have a quite a significant budget behind it, perhaps. But, I know, you know, which isn't a, but also a, a judgment because, consideration. Absolutely. But. but also because of the subject, the, mm. you know, it was all about a swimmer. Yeah. And the beauty of the water and the and location the and, the, yeah. and the rippling. So, mm. I mean, it had to be, you know, shot on that kind of quality. Whereas Good Night was all about... The intensity of that. Oh, the of intensity that. Yeah, and the fear and the aggression and the innocence. And, you know, it, it was not... I didn't for once notice or think, was it shot on? Whereas, you know, with the curse was set against this stunning, extraordinary landscape. Whereas if that had been sort of just on a handheld sort of video with no cinematographer, it probably wouldn't have worked as well. Muriel, when I first saw Goodnight, it was... A, I think it had a running time of about 27 minutes and mm. then you cut it down further to 24 after yeah. after you'd screened in at CFC Worldwide in Toronto. Mm-hmm. This was a film school project but it, it, it feels like it had a, um, a a big budget behind it. I know certainly looking at the credits it had a very large crew. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the way you approached it thinking that, uh, the aesthetic level you needed to be pitching at? I mean because 27 minutes for a short is, is you know it's, pre- it's, it's pretty long. So. Yeah well I can tell you that the first cut was 50 minutes so wow. yeah it's crazy. Um, um, I think the credits are very long because we literally put every single person on there that did anything okay. on the film. And that's the thing. If everyone works for free, you really want to thank them sure. in some way or not. Um, and the other thing is that we had nine shooting days, which is quite long, and people could not work through those nine shooting days. So we had to switch crews, which makes that list also very long. Oh, I see. So it's not the case that you always had a hundred people on no, set God, in no. central London. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Although were- it felt like a very large crew, yeah. especially because we had um, a lot of extras as well yeah. in there. So yeah, at some point. It but was you big. were using digital and that, pre- that that allowed you to have a nine day shooting schedule, presumably. And exactly. To, to, to exactly. Keep you mobile. And, and I think, as, as Lisa said, I mean, it's a very contemporary story. So digital is OK. And, and I agree, the curse film it's the only way to go with curse I really, the curse so yeah no we we of course i'd love to work on film i think it's it's beyond beautiful for, for but it's it, it was a budget thing it's funny for me to hear that you said it was more or less the same although we wanted to shoot on the lexa and that turned out to be too expensive so we chose the red mix and shooting in central london not without its challenges at night God, presumably and trying to recreate in the weekend <laughs> yeah. i mean everyone's drunk that. and crazy and 
and we just kind of had to do it. And um, it could have very quickly turned into a kind of binge drink nation style. Yes. <laughs> how did you tell us about how you approached that and how you how you managed to pull it off? Just we just survived, you know. <laughs> no, that was crazy. But you know what? It pays off because the atmosphere is real. Uh, the people that were walking around there were real. Um, um, the only thing is that as a director, it's sometimes hard because you feel less in control, which is, you know, a good experience for me as well. Do you I really guess. feel it was a step up for you as a filmmaker having been shooting in that di- very difficult environment? The whole film. After I remember after finishing that film, I thought I'm not going to be afraid for anything anymore. And then this morning I woke up and I had the podcast. I'm like, oh, my God, this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there. Coming up in a moment, we'll discuss how to market and distribute your short film. So, short film distribution um, is a big, crazy, messy, difficult world to navigate for producers and filmmakers, um, and it's growing all the time. There's the traditional festival circuit, there's a proliferation of platforms that you can get your film out uh, onto that weren't even there, you know, two to five years ago. This year's BAFTA nominees are being shown in cinemas around the UK, and I'll give you a bit more detail on that later. But let's focus in now on the best ways to get your film seen. Gavin, if we can just start with you, um, not only with The Curse, but also with all the kind of other shorts that you've been involved in. How important are festivals in today's uh, distribution landscape for short films? Well, when I first started with my graduation films from film school six years ago, I think festivals were the only route and the most important route. And it was key to have some kind of festival strategy, um, look at the, the BAFTA qualifying list, the Oscar qualifying list, those kind of things, the European Film Academy festivals. I think now um, there are more opportunities to get your film out there in different ways. I think if you're working on making a film like The Curse, more auteur-driven film, a drama, you really want to aim for festivals and show that you can make a good film that's recognised by the industry. But if you're making something more genre, there are certainly, you know, you can post on YouTube and use Vimeo and all kinds of different um, platforms which didn't exist five years ago to show that you have an audience for that particular type of film. I mean, filmmakers tend to get um, extremely excited about um, film festivals and extremely heartbroken. Um, But, you know, it can be a kind of nasty field of rejection I just wanted to ask um, Muriel by the time the BAFTAs came around Goodnight had actually been around for 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 a year um or so and it had been you know it had been played in in Toronto in the CFC Worldwide Shorts Film Festival and and Palm Springs and and how determined when you when you had finished post-production with were you that festivals was the way to go and that you know and well you know every time uh, you get into a festival it's it's a great feeling because you get a lot of rejections and I think uh, many people don't see those rejections because I'm not going to post that on my Facebook on the <laughs> website you know you're just going to get all the successes so don't forget that you know I'm getting a lot of rejections and um, Goodnight is a long short film that is very hard for festivals because I've had some festivals that I really wanted the film to play in and then I found out it was long listed and in the end they didn't go for it because of the length. That's hard. Yes. So, yeah, one of the tips, which everyone knows, but I'll say it again, stay within 
10, 15 minutes max, you know, don't go over that. Um, good night's like 27. That's like mm. double. It's crazy. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it got into festivals. I was really grateful for it. But after the BAFTA nomination, I think it got easier. I mm. think they give it more attention. Well, you've just come back from, from Paris, in fact, where you, yeah. where, you, where you won an award. Can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit ab- about the, the award that you've just won and, and how you're going to use that, if you're going to use it, to kind of well, propel yourself forward a bit? Yeah, I mean, it also won an award at Palm Springs. Springs. Yes. So that was before the BAFTAs. And what um, was the award that you just picked up? Uh, that was Best France? Directing, uh, Best uh, Director. And the festival? Was, was the ECU uh, European Film Festival in Paris. Great. Yeah. Okay. Not no. to be sniffed at. No, because I was in the student section and I didn't win that. And I thought, okay, so I didn't win. And kind of, you know, you're always, you, you hope to win. Come mm. on, you sit there, you hope to win. So I thought, okay, that's that. And I, I already put on my coat, kind of ready to leave and get drunk. And then apparently I was, I, I could win the Best Directing, which was all the films, including the non-student films, and that felt yeah. really well, So you're like the Michael Haneker of the short film world. You got you get you get into both categories. And then <laughs> yes, you, <laughs> yes, God, that's a nice one to be compared to, huh? Um, um, yeah. Lisa, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the festival circuit, the, the importance of awards, the importance of the importance now in kind of 2013 or, or you know, in the contemporary landscape of getting into those festivals and getting the awards and your kind of take on that from either a short or feature perspective, you know, just your kind of general experience. It's incredibly important. And, you know, especially now the BAFTA is huge. I mean, I think the BAFTA really is on par now with with the Oscar. And certainly for Last King of Scotland, mm. winning a BAFTA and and doing well at Toronto, it, it made the, the studio really sit up and listen and start spending some money on, on distribution. I mean, it, it was absolutely the difference between night and day. And do you think short filmmakers can convert that kind of... Totally. Yeah. I mean, again, as I was saying before, it really doesn't matter whether it's a feature or a short or whatever it is. Winning awards, playing at festivals... I think is absolutely imperative. And BAFTA has a list, doesn't it? It has a list of kind of uh, festivals that you have to have played oh, yeah. in in order to in order to be able to send your film in in the oh, first yeah. place. Yeah. So you know, and and the great thing is you have these things now. I think it's called Without a Box or yeah. something that yeah. you know you literally you plug in online and it tells you all the festivals and you can get out there. You know, as Gavin was saying, you know, with the internet now and everything at our disposal. You make a film, you can get it out there. It, mm. just, it does take a lot of work, mm. a lot of concentration and, and a lot of diligence. It's not just going to happen. Sure. And that's something for me that's incredibly important. I think you also have to have a clear um, sense of what your film is and then you, you're not going to waste time submitting to every festival going. Lots of people always aim to be at Cannes or Berlin. But, I mean, they're very competitive and maybe your film doesn't actually fit. It's not necessarily a quality judgment. It might be just the type of film that you make. I think you can equally just aim for kind of lower down festivals and get out there and win awards and be recognised rather than just aiming for the big A-listers. Mm. I should probably say at this point that festivals aren't, of course, the only place to see short films. And uh, the, uh, BAFTA has launched a very exciting way to see this year's nominated films, which is um, uh, BAFTA Shorts 2013, which is um, a tour of the uh, of all the nominees, um, which is kicking off in... In London at the ICA on the 12th of April uh, and then heading out towards Bradford, Bristol, Dundee, Farnham, Glasgow, Inverness, Maidenhead, Milton Keynes, Norwich, Nottingham, Stockton-on-Tees and Tunbridge Wells, um, which is uh, quite a good list, I think. And so people in those areas should definitely uh, check the website to see uh, when that's going to happen. And I will probably be shot if I don't uh, talk about the British Council, where I work part-time as a film advisor, who are also going to be touring that package.
package <laughs> internationally through our uh, our network of offices, and we have offices um, in 110 countries around the world. Details uh, and dates of the cinemas where the BAFTA package is going to play are available on BAFTA.org, and there will also be a link on the podcast page too when that comes up. We have a few questions from Twitter uh, from people out there who are interested to to pick the brains of you guys because you're a very distinguished panel and they're, they're, they're lucky to have you. So uh, staying true to the theme of this podcast, let's keep this section short. Um, but I'll throw these out to anyone, so feel free to, to chip in if you've got something to say about it. Leo Alexander has asked, um, can short films be used to promote a concept for a feature film? Well, certainly with, with Nick Love. Uh, when we tried to get Goodbye Charlie Bright off the ground, we only got that going when he made his first short film, Top Boy, which had a very similar concept to Goodbye Charlie Bright. So, yeah, absolutely. Great. And the next tweet is from Nesselan Atkan Altan. How do you convince people that what you say about a specific scene will definitely work? Which is an interesting question. I, I think it's probably related to writing uh, but, and more generally being kind of persuasive about your project when you're pitching about it. So... Muriel, yeah, looking at looking at yeah, looking at looking at There's there's some there's perhaps some contra- oh, potentially boy. controversial content <laughs> in your in your film. How did you go about persuading people in, in into that and, and yeah. saying this will work on the page? Yes, um, sorry, on the screen. Yeah, I mean, I think if you believe in your script in your film, and that's actually the only otherwise don't even make it to be honest. But if you do, you will convince people. Because they can feel it. They can feel that you're going to make the best out of this that you can. And um, my film has a lot of kind of edgy scenes in there. And I can tell you the casting was a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, can I say that? Probably not. Uh, oh, bleep. <laughs> because a lot of agents didn't want to send their girls to us because of, you know, vodka tampons. Because and it was girls men, doing adult girls stuff. Yeah. That means you have to work twice as hard. You have to... Uh, cast on the street you have to go everywhere where you can go to schools etc etc but um, it's perseverance uh, holding on and uh, believing in yourself which is hard because you're the only one you know when you start out you're the only one and then eventually find a producer who believes in you and um, and there's a whole team chanting the same mantra you hope yeah you hope. <laughs> okay final one is from uh, Catherine Bridger and uh, she asks how many shorts does a filmmaker need to make before they can graduate to a feature <laughs> um, how long is a piece of string I don't know uh, it depends how good the films are and what kind of features you want to make I think um, Faisal's made five short films officially three short films over six years and now he has a feature but I mean it depends I think on how as I said before I think it depends on if the director is going to try and deal with more difficult subject matter than they might have to prove themselves a bit more than someone who's doing a more genre or commercial type of idea, really. Well, sadly, ladies and gentlemen, um, our time is almost at an end. But before we go, I'd just like to go round the table, do a bit of a roundup and find out uh, where we can see you next, what what your next projects are, what you're up to. Um, so, Muriel, if we could just start with you, just tell us, uh, you know, in the after the heady days of... of um, of good night, and yes. as that starts to wind down a little bit, what's next on the horizon? Well, it's not you? winding down at all. It feels <laughs> like this whirlwind that keeps on going, and meanwhile, with that wind around my ears, I'm trying to finish my feature script, which I'm 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 almost done with now. And is this something you're doing in your bedroom on your own, or are you, or is it? I am because I don't want too many people to interfere just yet. So that's the price of it that you have to do it in yeah. your bedroom yeah. on your own costs. Wonderful. Lisa? Mm-hmm. Very much involved with BAFTA, which is a 
huge, huge privilege. And I've just finished this little um, documentary that I just made, um, which has just been out on the BBC oh, and, and about to be distributed worldwide. Can we know what that is? So that, so that this um, it's a little, yes, it's a little documentary I made on my aunt, who is um, a survivor of four concentration camps and the death march. And I only made it, in fact, for uh, Family Legacy. And then uh, Danny Cohen, the controller of BBC One, saw it and cleared his schedule for Holocaust Day. And it went out on BBC One and has just completely taken off. But that's great, a passion project, that, I mean, a real yeah, genuine the, passion project. genuine that, that, passion yeah. project that I paid for myself. It's exploded. Does it have a does it have a title so that we can if we um, if it comes across yeah. our screens we can prisoner number a two one six six. Great, we'll and, look we'll uh, look out for it definitely definitely. Okay. And uh, finally, Gavin, uh, what's what's going on with uh, with you and with Quark and and uh, and the projects you're developing? Well, apart from coordinating the curse screening about five times a week all over the world in various places, I'm now in the land of ideas and development. So I have um, Faisal and myself have a feature deal with Film Four, and I'm working on other feature films with. Um, other writers and directors so developing fighting stuff. the good fight yeah well thank you so much all of you for coming today sharing uh, your experiences with us and your tips and uh, i think it'll be tremendously useful for short filmmakers and you know filmmaker early career filmmakers out there looking to kind of crack the industry and develop their first projects and huge luck in everything that you go on to do in the next couple of years i'm, I'm hopefully we'll see uh, the next um, muriel Dawson-Bog project the next gavin humphreys project very soon and we'll look out for the lisa Breyer project um when we when it comes across our screen it's been on already but hopefully we can find it um, elsewhere. So thank you very much for coming in and, and goodbye. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's it for this month. My thanks to all my guests, Muriel Dalsenborg, Gavin Humphreys and Lisa Breyer. You can find loads more shorts content on bafta.org forward slash guru, including interviews with the directors of The Curse, Pitch Black Heist and more. There's loads more BAFTA audio on soundcloud.com forward slash BAFTA and on iTunes. And you can get all the latest news on upcoming BAFTA events by signing up for our fortnightly newsletter on bafta.org. And I can tell you from the BAFTA notice board that Made in Dagenham producer Stephen Woolley is joining us in Bristol on the 11th of April and Bridport on the 12th, talking about his work as a producer. And then he'll be showing his new vampire movie, Byzantium. On Monday 15th, we're holding the TV Lab's Pitch Up event in London, where budding programme makers pitch live to commissioners and receive feedback. If you're interested in honing your pitching skills, you don't want to miss this. On Tuesday 16th, we have our first film question time at BAFTA HQ. A high-profile industry panel will be taking questions from the floor about the state of the UK industry. If you can't make it, we'll be live-streaming it online on BAFTA Guru. And if that wasn't enough for one month, we're partnering with Sundance London for a screenwriting flash lab on Saturday 27th of April. And if you've been inspired by any of the topics described in this podcast, or if you have any feedback, please get in touch at podcast at BAFTA.org. Also, why not rate us on iTunes and help us climb the charts? My name is Will Massa. The producer was Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. Mm.